Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with life coach Monique Scott, and this is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And uh, Monique, we uh, we have more emails from listeners this week to get us started. I, I can see the smile what? on your face already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our, um, our listeners, a, a small handful of them have been really, you know, very consistently writing in and that's great because it gives us more and more stuff to talk about right um, plus it's great having i mean we're getting some nice feedback and today is no exception um right. the first email comes from deborah and uh, let me bring this over here so i can see it a little bit easier it says hey. thank you monique she says thank you monique so much for a lovely show last week there's something very special in the dynamic of the two of you together <laughs> It just flows and goes to some really interesting places. It's so completely devoid of any ego either. There's something extremely relaxing and vibrating in your interaction. Now, of course, I love Cindy too. She's also amazing. Oh, yeah. And yes, Monique could definitely be mistaken as her daughter's sister with that beautiful, radiant face and smile. That's what I've <laughs> often talked about. That anybody who wants to look better, all they have to do is smile. Everybody looks better when they smile. Great. You know? It's really true. I agree. I totally agree. Regarding Mia's question, which you may remember from last week, a thought that occurred to me was that maybe it isn't that she doesn't want to trust your intuition, but just doesn't know how to go inside, mm. which is a good point. Yeah, I know is. that I felt that way for a long time and it would drive me crazy as I just didn't understand what was meant by that. Yeah, me too. I had that same thing. Yeah. I wanted to. I just felt it was outside my capabilities. Just saying that maybe that could be the case. It's a good point. Yeah, it is. Uh, a couple of other thoughts provoked by the discussion. The weather, for one. I love that your wife is still so connected to her love of snow and finds so much joy in it. think that it's a beautiful thing. By the way, we went snowshoeing again today, so it still holds nice. true. She's <laughs> celebrating every single little storm that comes our way. <laughs> Monique sort of jokingly said that she didn't see the need for seasons, just make it one long summer. I lived that for nine years in the Caribbean, where I worked as a, an underwater videographer. After a while, I was desperate for the contrast of the seasons to get bundled <laughs> up in winter woolies and feel the joy at the first sightings of almond bl blossoms and, uh, and new life emerging, the leaves changing color in autumn. I have to say, living through my first English winter for many, many years, I'm having to dig deep to find the appreciation for this amount of gray and gloomy contrast. <laughs> <laughs> I think a few other people kind of appreciate that one, Deborah. <laughs> Another thought that's percolating, I know that if we believe that something has the power to cure, then it will do so if our expectation and belief is strong enough. However, it brings to mind my first experience of acupuncture. I was terrified of needles and most definitely not expecting it to cure my chronic lower back pain from carrying too many dive tanks. But I tried everything else. The very first session of acupuncture, though, I had an incredible experience of feeling deeply connected to all it was, in fact, my first deeply spiritual experience of what I can only describe as pure love and connection to source. And it completely cured my back pain in just one session. She is an extremely talented acupuncturist, by the way, and now in New York, if anyone needs an acupuncturist. So there are some people and places that have a connection and power in and of themselves that can be transmitted and override our expectations and beliefs. You mentioned Machu Picchu, for example, and another is the pilgrimage route of the Camino de, de Santiago, with which I am so obsessed. I'm thinking that could be an interesting topic to discuss. I think she's probably right, except I know almost nothing about those, so I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> no, me either, but now it's something I, I might want to research, too. 
Well, yeah, sure. Do the research, you know, bring, bring to us what you find. That becomes at least okay, the basis cool. for a conversation. Yeah. Cool. She says, whether it is simply due to the many thousands of people who have walked those paths with faith and trust, leaving an energetic imprint or an alignment of the stars, quite literally, as it follows the path of the Milky Way and was a place of pagan rituals too. Well, okay. I think that's enough for now. Thanks so much for, for you both. And I'm so appreciative. Deborah. So. Thanks, Deborah. That was nice. Deborah writes nice, long, detailed, in in granular detail, yes. letters and emails. Really, really. I fun. can appreciate that. Thanks, Deborah. Yeah. And then we had another one. This came via instant message to me uh, via Facebook uh, from Tasfia. And we got to know Tasfia initially because I believe she is Muslim. At least she, she uses Arabic. Her, her name is an Arabic name. I had to run it through the Google Translate, and that's why I always remember who she is. Because otherwise, it was just a bunch of letters that I didn't understand at all. You know? so, but she wrote to just say, uh, hello, Walt. I just came to say thank you. You have helped me so much. Thank you for that. And thank you, everyone, at LOA today. So we're making an impact, Monique. How about that? Yes. And that's what we need to do, right? We do. Yeah. Well, it's also, it it gives us fuel to keep doing more shows. It does. You know, you just love having people tell you that you're having a positive impact on their lives. That's (laughs) what, what better impact could you get? You know? Right. That's what we're all here for. I believe. Why, why do you think that we're all here for that? Because I hear people say that. I, I can't say that totally resonates with me, but I kind of get it. What, what, what does that mean to you? What is, why is that important to you? That's important to me, Walt, because I believe that we are all just extensions of God, source energy, infinite intelligence, the universe. Ah, okay. hear it, right? So if we're all just extensions and we're all interconnected, he is the source of love. He is, it is love, right? Which makes us love. We can do nothing else. We are not, in my opinion, we're Mm -hmm. not supposed to do anything else but love. And we help each other love one another, love and appreciate the things that God has put here for us. Animals, plants, air, sunshine, whatever, right? So in my opinion, we're just all interconnected and that's the way it should be. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Then, hey, you say it that way, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. So (laughs) maybe I'm modifying my belief a little bit. Who knows? It's my puny little opinion, right? Yeah, well, I don't know how puny it is, but uh, very much appreciated. Let's put it that way. Thanks. So, well, actually, that kind of ties in with what I had in mind for a topic today. Um, I asked you whether you subscribed to Mike Dooley's Notes from the Universe earlier before we did the show, and you said you hadn't done that. I've been following that for Jeez, it's got to be 10, 12 years, something like that. Wow. Okay. This is something he started this, I think, in the 1990s or at least in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of built and built and built. And that turned into you know, like a, a book reading, book writing thing with a nice large audience. He ended up on the movie The Secret. Um, and he's become one of the quote gurus, unquote, of the law of attraction community. And, and, I really like a lot of the stuff that he writes. He writes as if it was the universe writing to you. Oh, that's the way the emails come. Yeah. And and it's really cool. And he has some very interesting things to share. Very interesting insights. Um, Some days that, you know, it's kind of like the the, uh, daily dose of happy we do here. He gives you a lift with things that he talks about. He, he, he builds up your ego a little bit. He builds up your confidence, things like that. So I've enjoyed it, but I got the one today and I thought this one 
this one I think merits some conversation because you really hit on some interesting and maybe even a little bit uh, controversial points. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So let me read it to you and then we can kick it around a little bit. He says, and of course they're all personalized because you give them your name and and a couple of things that you're interested in. So they always personalize that. Hey, Walt, you know, that kind of thing. Nice. So it says changing one's life is easy, Walt. And there are lots of ways to go about it, though all exact some sort of price. Pinpointing invisible, limiting, self-sabotaging beliefs, extremely demanding on brain cells and much easier to do if you have a friend who channels the dead. But either way, it'll keep you busy for the rest of your life. (laughs) I agree with Mike on that. (laughs) Yes. Discovering what occurrences in the past have misprogrammed you. A therapist can help, though expensive if you don't have insurance, but you can both pretend you're a complex person and that if it wasn't for your childhood, you'd have the perfect life. (laughs) I'm not sure what my wife would say about that. She's a former therapist, but (laughs) distinguishing between those who really love you and those who just wish to use you. That's super tricky and may destroy perfectly good relationships, but with a good lawyer, you can laugh all the way to the bank while accepting little or no responsibility for your own happiness. (laughs) These are just a few of the most popular and widely written about methods. Of course, you could also just begin imagining and moving toward the life of your dreams, treating everyone with kindness and assuming all is well, profoundly and radically affect for both short and long-term gains, but totally lacking in drama, which requires solo efforts and is much too easy for most people to take seriously. Oh, well. (laughs) He has a very wry sense of humor, and I appreciate it very much. But he raises a few interesting points in that. And by the way, this is a long email. Most of his emails are like two or three sentences. You know, for him to go on for three paragraphs, that was pretty unusual. Oh, okay. Yeah. Usually usually they're really, really short. And just making one point. He, he He's making one point here, but he's going about it in a rather dramatic way. And I take it that the point he's making is we keep looking outside of ourselves for solutions to why it is we are having trouble going within. Hmm. Because okay. that's what those are really all about. I mean, you know, you go to the therapist to see you know, how you were uh, badly programmed as a kid. Well, that's outside stuff. Yeah, you internalized it, but it comes from the outside. So we're trying to treat the outside stuff. Understandable. I mean, certainly understandable why people would want to do that. Um, but it's a valid point. It's going outside rather than going inside. Or distinguishing for things like, uh, you know, what, what kind of a relationship do you have? Do you have one? with somebody who is trying to use you or abuse you or whatever and trying to analyze the relationships, figure out, well, is this really a good relationship for me to keep and so forth? All valid, you know, certainly, but it is still external. And so it raises a very valid question. At what point do we say, let's just go inside? And that's what I wanted to ask you. What, at what point do we make that decision? Uh, We made that point yesterday. We made that decision yesterday. (laughs) that this is what we're talking about the universe is funny haha um it's interesting because last night when i went out for dinner on my drive back i was thinking about um a position i've been offered right full time Mm -hmm. and it's in the coaching space it's it's Mm -hmm. actually with the company i'm already with but anyway so um i was thinking about that and my first initial thought Walt was, well, you can't do that. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to handle that level of a position as well as your own business, right? You, you just, you just can't do that. 
Who are you to do that? And it wasn't me. I immediately recognized that wasn't me saying it. That was my mom. Now, my mom has been passed away almost 20 years, right? Mm. And it kind of lends to what Mike is talking about, these outside influences. And what I came to realize just in an instant like that, Walt, is at 50, I'm still allowing what my mom said about me between the ages of 13 and 15 to control how I see myself now. And so immediately I said, but that's not true. Like what my mom said was true about the 13-year-old Monique, right? Mm -hmm. Most teenagers are fickle. Most teenagers start this, start that. You know, That's being a teenager. You try a bunch of stuff, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, most, most, okay, not my daughter. I don't know where she came from. <laughs> <laughs> Most teenagers are kind of all over the place and you kind of find your way, right? Until adulthood and maybe then you start to level off, right? That That's generally how it goes. So what I recognize in an instant, Walt, is that thought came from Marie. That was my mom's name. Marie talking to 13-year-old Monique. Mm. Well, 50-year-old Monique is still behaving in some ways like the the things she said about 13-year-old Monique. However, Walt, what I noticed or what I realized is that was just her opinion of me at 13, which may or may not have been true, right? I'm a teenager. I'm a kid. Right, right. You see, that's not true. I am responsible. I'm not irresponsible anymore. I'm not all over the place. I'm pretty settled. I do handle my business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So sure. I had to make the decision to go within, think about where did that thought come from to begin with, recognize where it came from. And in an instant, I just decided I'm not acting like that anymore because that's not who I am. I haven't been that 13 year old person for a very, very, very long time. Right? <laughs> How long is that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. I have not been her for like, what, 47, I don't know, 37 years or something like that. Right, right, right. So what I'm saying in my mind, I'm thinking is still true and I'm acting as if it's still true. Mm. But the in, the inner me, the, the me who is true, the real 50-year-old Monique is not her anymore. I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but... No, you're explaining it. That's clear. To his point, right? To his point, I decided on the drive home last night, I'm not going to accept that. I'm no longer going to subscribe to that and act accordingly because I'm not her. I haven't been her in a long time. So why are you still allowing like that paradigm to shape whether or not you feel like you're going to be able to handle having your own business and doing this high level position as well? Mm -hmm. right? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was also having an experience along these lines, although in this case, and th this is where the boundaries get a little bit blurry as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> because in my case, the voice wasn't another person. There wasn't a parent or an adult or even a peer. It was my own. Wow. Really? Because, well, I, Cindy and I talked about this a lot. We're, we are our own worst critics. True. 
we, we are harder on ourselves than we are on anybody else. It doesn't matter how hard we are on somebody else. We're always harder on ourselves. I can. I've, ne- I've never heard of anybody who was the opposite. They, they may exist. I just haven't met them yet. <laughs> okay. So I think we've established it's a fairly rare phenomenon right. to go that way. Usually it's, you know, we're pretty rough on ourselves mm-hmm. and I'm no exception. Um, for years from the point where I left college up until now for years, I kept telling myself, I'm no good at sales. I'm no good at marketing. Now look, bear in mind, I spent a good part of my life marketing for people, you know, but there's that little voice that I used to tell myself and reinforced for many years that said, I'm really not very good at this stuff and I don't like it either. And not only do I not like it, I, I'm not any good at it. And not only am I not any good at it, I don't like it. And it was just like this, you know, yeah, back recurring forth, thing right? over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So um, as listeners know, I've, I've been uh, starting the process of launching a new sort of a sub-career for myself, um, doing some public speaking. And I finally got the, yeah, thank you very much. And I finally got it to the point where, okay, it's time to do the marketing. And the voice kicked in loudly, mm-hmm. very, very loudly. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, this is why I refer to it as blurring the lines. Is that an external voice <laughs> or is that internal? I'm not sure which way that is. You know what I think, Walt? I do think it's external. And let me tell you why I don't think it's internal. Okay. The reason why I don't think it's internal, and I this is what I tell my clients because I, I firmly believe this. I don't believe it's internal because God resides within us. I don't believe that's anything that God would ever say about Walt. That's not anything mm-hmm. God would ever say about Monique. And if he would not say that, then that came from somewhere. I didn't originate that thought about myself on my own. Does that make sense? I had to have heard that from something outside influenced that thought to me. Now, whether or not I'm aware of it or even remember it, I mean, it could go back as as early as two, three years old, sometimes when we don't even remember things, right? It could even be implanted as far back as that. But I don't believe that that's Walt. I, I just don't believe that. I don't believe we would say those things about ourselves to ourselves. It had to come from somewhere. If God is, is all mean love, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't originate is what you mean. Right. We wouldn't originate that thought mm-hmm. about it has to come from somewhere. Because clearly I'm the one who's saying it to myself. I, mean, I keep saying it over and over again. So it definitely exactly. is me saying it now anyway, just maybe yeah. not originally. So let me ask you, do you remember, can you even think about like the first time you did sales or had to make a sales call or sales e- oh, or something? It's, it's painfully ingrained in my mind. Almost all of them, <laughs> almost every single experience is ingrained in my mind. And yes, the very first one uh, was when I was, I'd say I must have been 17 or 18. And I'm trying to think, was I, I don't think I was out of school yet. I think I was still in school. I took a job um, doing telemarketing for one of these companies that sells uh, meat in bulk. Telemarketing. The job, the job lasted one hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could take. That's all I could handle. I mean, I went through the, the, the course, so to speak, which is like a half hour of training about how to read their script, right. you know, and, and got on the first call and read the script 
I was amazed too, because like first or second call, I actually got through to a human being, you know, in retrospect, that just seems amazing. But <laughs> you know, at, at the time I thought it was normal, right? Got onto the first call, read through the first few lines of the script and got hung up on and felt miserable. And I was done. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I literally got up and left. Now, to follow up on what you, what you said, do I remember whether or not the person who had hired me said something like, you're not really good at sales or something like that? I don't remember anything like that. It's possible. I, I kind of have the impression that the message was more along the lines of, don't worry, a lot of people have the same kind of response. It was that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't point to that as being an originating experience, but it's the first experience I can remember where sales was involved in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my opinion, that's where it originated from, from, from an experience outside of yourself. And so that experience, you hated it immediately or, or whatever, right? Real, really quickly. Yeah. It didn't take long. <laughs> yeah. And so subconsciously, what do we know? We know that a thought, which is coupled with emotion, right? Becomes implanted, becomes embedded. Your thought was, I freaking hate this. I'm out of here. Okay. And the emotion was whatever it was, disgust, anger, whatever, all of the above, whatever, right? I think it was a combination of embarrassment and humiliation, actually. Exactly. Yeah. And so do you see where I'm going with this about how it could, I'm pretty sure subconsciously it got ingrained in your, in an instant that Mm -hmm. happens all the time. That's how people end up replaying um, things that happen over and over again. It's it an, makes sense. Yeah, an event mixed with emotion, then it's embedded and you just keep replaying that. So every time that trigger comes up and for you, it would be another sales call or whatever. There it is. Now, I do know, and this is actually part of my talk that I'm planning to give, that I'm trying to do the sales for in order to, to give the talk, which is really ironic. But, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> part of the, the talk is that anything where we're feeling in any way down for whatever reason, any kind of experience, any kind of interaction is inevitably tied in some way to insufficient self-love. And that's, that's a major theme of my talk that the best thing we can always be doing is building up our self-love because that's how we gain more self-confidence, more self-esteem, how we do better in life. You know, we, we find our passions easier and so on and so forth. Um, so I think that was, and I can definitely say that was a, a major factor going on at that time. I did not have a very high level of self-love, self-esteem at all. My self-confidence on a scale of one to 20 was about 0. 0.5. I oh. mean, it, it, it was not real high <laughs> at all. <laughs> it was pretty low. Yeah. And uh, I could point to other external factors to blame why that happened. But the bottom line is I just didn't know anything about how important it was to build up self-love. Because, you know, nobody told me, nobody taught me. And it led to a whole series of other experiences, including some sales and marketing experiences that were equally painful because, once again, not enough self-love going on. So that's definitely a factor in my mind. Uh, But you raise an interesting point, the idea that when we engage in something that we just don't like for whatever reason, it's almost like we don't even have to have a voice anywhere. We, we, We just kind of hear the voice because we don't like it. Right. And I think that's what you're really pointing to. I, I, nobody actually had to say to me, you're a lousy salesperson. Right. 
All I had to do was dislike it and assume that that meant that I was a lousy salesperson. Why? Because my self-esteem was so low. Right. So it had to be something wrong with me, right? <laughs> then you had a an action that reinforced what that mm-hmm. thought was and the person hung up on you. Mm, so oh, yeah. I'm not be a good salesperson because they hung up on me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way we feel, sure. Yeah. So, I think so you're right. Together. And I I can think of every other sales situation that I was in. I I tried two or three different sales jobs. Um, one of them I did for nine months. I actually lasted nine months doing it. Um, almost starved in the process, but I did actually pay some bills, you know, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I, I kind of hoped that by doing it, I would get over myself, so to speak, get over my fears, get over my frustrations, get over my, what I now understand to be my lack of self-confidence, lack, lack of self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually worked the other way around. <laughs> It just reinforced because I kept having experiences that I didn't like. It just, it just kept reinforcing, well, you really aren't very good at this. Look at it. You have one bad experience after another. How could you possibly be good at it? And so, yeah, it, it actually became a quite negative contrast experience, shall we call it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I completely agree. I kind of had the same um, things about sales or the same thoughts around sales, Um uh, up until maybe like a year ago when I took this mm-hmm. business course or yeah, a year and a half ago when I took this business course and started my own business, mm-hmm. um, the thought of sales calls, jumping on a call with a prospect, just, I, I hated it. I'm like, yeah, I haven't even done it yet. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm already, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Right. right. Um, nobody's going to sign with me or no, nobody's going to want to work with me kind of thing. But what I do appreciate about the business course is it helped me to reframe what I thought of sales because, yeah, I remember the sleazy salesman, you know, the $500 oh, yeah. car back in the 70s on the, you know, TV or whatever. And that's what I generally thought about salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what I learned to, how I learned to reframe my, my thought process around sales is it's a conversation. And I don't mm-hmm. think about it as a sales call. Um, you could call it a discovery call to work with me if you want. But I like to think about it as a solution-based call. You mm-hmm. have a problem. I have the solution. And we're mm-hmm. merely just having a conversation to see if my solution is the best fit for your problem. Period. I agree with you. I, I think it, that's very similar to the way I think about it now, too, because yeah. I, I, I'm actually a pretty good closer, as they say, in the sales. Ah. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And I'm, I'm pretty good. If, if I know that I have a genuine prospect in front of me, I can have that conversation really easily because mm-hmm. I, I get away from all the sales talk. Right. You know, and I get right into let's find out who you are and who I am. And, and like you said, what can I do to help you yeah. out? This is a good what, fit. Now, what that doesn't take care of is the prospecting part. And the prospecting part continued and continues to this day to be something that, you know, okay, stay away from me. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with it. But then I discovered a wonderful concept that took the problem completely away from me entirely. And that is um, delegating. <laughs> I find somebody else to do the part that I don't want to do and I pay him to do it. And you know what? It works out great. <laughs> and Bob Proctor said there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because that's what he does to inside. His yeah, exactly. Business. Yeah. You know, why, why put yourself through the misery? 
And, and there's a, there are a couple of really good reasons why that's good for both people. Because when you're hiring somebody else to do it, they have no, unless you're making them do it on commission, which is a bad idea, better to pay them on an hourly. Um, but as long as they're being paid on an hourly basis, they have no vested emotional interest in what right. happens. Right. Which means they aren't going to, to attach negatively to the outcome. So it's easier for somebody like that to just go through the motion of, okay, you know, send out an email, send it on email, make a phone call, send it, whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, in my, in my case, I still would not be interested in sitting down and doing phone calls for the reasons that I was describing. Uh-huh. But um, in this case, we're reaching out to colleges and universities by email. Well, we're reaching out to departments whose purpose is to direct our email to the proper place. Well, then our email is not inappropriate we're trying to find the proper place you know so it all fits emotionally yeah. it makes sense to me emotionally it's it's acceptable mm-hmm. and then giving it off to somebody else to do the work for me i've got a, I got a va doing that for me it's like oh i can just sit back i can just take a breath and i feel so much better feel right. so much better yeah so and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that i think that's actually pretty smart. And when you get to a point in your business where you feel like you want and or need a closer, right? A sales mm-hmm. person. Um, I think that it's great because that person is operating in their zone of genius. They mm. love what they do. So they're going to be good at it and they're going to get results for you. So if I know that, yeah, maybe I'm okay at it, right? It doesn't bother me to do it anymore. Mm. But why the why even put myself through that? My my time could best be utilized in my zone of genius, right? So why sure. not? When I get to that point in my business, you doggone well believe I'm going to be <laughs> Monique will not be on sales calls anymore, right? Because that's not my zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not where I stand out. Yeah. And I would I was even doing some dreaming out of the whole thing because um the speaking business in general, and you may know this because I know you've done some speaking, but the business as a whole is really expanding because there's the, the demand for it is expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, schools, organizations, companies, associations are, you know, mammoth numbers of them, most of whom we've never heard of, are doing conferences and all this kind of stuff. And, and they need to have speakers. They yeah. need to have keynoters. So the demand just keeps expanding and increasing and expanding and increasing. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are agents for speakers and they are in high demand among people who want to become speakers. It's um, usually hard to find a, a, an agent who, if you're a new speaker or relatively uh, new to the circuit, so to speak, mm-hmm. finding an agent who will actually get you work because they'd rather get work for the established speakers who they know right. are going to be an instant sale. So why right. bother with you, you know? So that can be part of the challenge for somebody who's a new speaker, but uh, even there, there's there's just a whole lot of interest. And so I'm thinking, well, if I can get this approach working to my satisfaction so that I can do as little of it as possible, but still bring the work in, right. maybe I become a speaker's agent. Maybe I help other people become Ooh. placed speakers, you know? I like that. I take my 25%, you know, and uh, yeah, pay, pay my VA to do the work and, you know, sit back and... Go to the I Caribbean. Like Meet like up with that. Deborah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Sounds yeah. like a, why not? But even if it's not something that I end up doing, the point is, look what I was able to dream up because I'm not in that negative spiral place. Right. I right. shifted my attention away from that thing that I didn't like. 
Mm-hmm. It almost doesn't matter whether it was external or internal. I, I tend to agree with you. I think it is an external thing that we internalize. We kind of bring it into ourselves, and that's right. how we become self-critical of it. But whether it was external or internal, it was unwanted. It was undesired. And therefore, it's not where I want to put my attention. I so wish I had understood how the law of attraction worked when I first started sales. I really I did. About the law of attraction, period. Well, okay. period. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, had, I am really kind of jealous of some of the kids of people who've been here on the show, like Louis D'Souza, for instance, he has two daughters. Um, one of them is about um, 11 or 12. The other one's four or five, something like that. Yes. Both of them, he teaches uh, how to use the law of attraction. Um, and they're pretty much responsible for getting whatever they want in life. I mean, obviously he provides you know, a roof over their heads, clothing, food, all that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, like one of them wanted to get a bicycle. And so he just taught her how to use the law of attraction to get a bicycle. He didn't go out and buy a bike. He just taught her how to do it. And she did it twice. She got two of them out of it. <laughs> Sounds like Jim Dispenza's daughter. Yeah, right. Yeah. So can you imagine what that's like? I mean, I think kids like that have such a tremendous advantage. They do, because at a young age, they don't have the resistance that we have learned over the years as an adult, right? Yeah. You got to love kids. So much they're going to be able to teach us as time goes on, no doubt about that. But in the meantime, at least we're learning, and that's really good. Yes, and I'm teaching my daughter. How does she respond? How does she react when, when you teach her this stuff? At first, she was really skeptical, but she was able to manifest, um, Moving from Virginia to here in Houston mm-hmm. in the middle of a pandemic, mm-hmm. no job, so to speak, right? She wanted that then. She did. Okay, good. Yeah, very, she, very good. Yeah. But, you know, again, when you have people all around you saying, oh my gosh, it's a pandemic, oh my gosh, you know, the news, all the negativity, you can start to doubt. And I had to teach her, no, you just have to stay focused on what it is that you want. Don't focus on the negative. Just stay focused on what it is and teaching her creative visualization. Mm -hmm. I I had no doubt. She was kind of surprised a little bit. I wasn't. So now she's manifesting a move to L.A. Same thing. Good for her. Not even worried about it, right? Yeah. When when did you first, at what age did you first start teaching her how this stuff worked? Um, She's 25 now, so 24. Oh, okay. Maybe a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it doesn't really matter what age you are. If, if you're on the young side, it's it's just easier. That's something um, Joel Elston. I told you about Joel. Um, mm-hmm. He and I talked about a few times how it's so much easier when you learn this stuff earlier than when you learn it later, because yes. over time we have so much baggage that we accumulate. Yes. So much, so much, so many old programs that you know we allow to keep playing. And we don't understand how they're impacting us so adversely, and mm-hmm. then. Finally, we get it. And now we got to turn off all the damn programs. <laughs> Whereas when you're young, it's a lot easier. You just kind of cut the cord and you're done. It's because it isn't built up the same way it is when you're right. Old. You haven't yeah. been programmed quite, quite the same way as you have. Quite as long. 40, 40, 50. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and no, no matter what the age is, the younger, the better. I think, I don't think there's, I don't think you can start too young. Oh no, totally. Yeah. I totally believe that. Yeah, I think so too. So, all right. Well, this has been interesting. I mean, what what uh, Mike gave us to talk about gave us a good head start. Um, but this whole concept of how important it is to go inside rather than externally, we, I think it's it's a very key idea because we do tend to look to the externals for our clues. 
we tend to look at the externals for not just, you know, how we beat ourselves up, but what we're doing right. And what we are, are we, are we achieving our goal or aren't we? Right. It, it's like we right. keep score, you know, how, how, how close am I to getting that dream job or that new house or, you know, the, the influx of money out of nowhere or the, the cure to my, uh, chronic condition or you know, whatever it is where we look externally. And that includes those of us who are training ourselves to be conscious creators. We still look externally. I think it's just a fascinating thing. It, it's almost like we go internally as like a last gasp attempt. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? <laughs> society doesn't tell us that we should, or we've not, you know, we've not been programmed, mm. right, to go within. And we certainly have not been taught, unless you're into the law of attraction and universal laws, You cert- we certainly haven't been taught that everything, our outer reality is merely a reflection of what's inside that mm. we've created our reality. That's right. not been a super popular thing to say, right? That's been quite controversial over the years. And yet here we are, those of us who are practicing it, and we still find ourselves going external. I mean, how many times have I gone external in the last day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to count it up. It'd be embarrassing, but you know, we still do it, you know? Right. It's maybe that's like, just an, oh, no, go ahead. Maybe, maybe it's just an indication of, of, you know, how much of the negative programming is built up in me because I've been around on, the, on this planet long enough for all that to happen. But boy, oh, boy, it, it's just, it just comes at me and, and I react. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's got be, to gotta be that external thing until I finally realize I'm blaming an external thing again. Like, oh, God, I did it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, what, what I like. Um, I think the name of Joyce Meyer's book is Battlefield of the Mind. So old, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's a battlefield of the mind. It's constantly for some people, it's constantly having to work on yourself and re reprogram yourself, if you will, to remind yourself, Hey, it's inside. What you see outside is just a reflection of what's going on inside. You created this reality, right? Now, to be fair, a lot of this is due to language because our language, our our idioms, our way of expressing things are almost universally based on externals. I mean, there are probably a few that are based on internals, but not all that many. Most of them are based on external events. So even when we're talking about to somebody else, the phrasing that we're going to use, because it's the same phrasing we've always used, externalizes. So once again, we find ourselves externalizing instead of internalizing. So give me an example of that, Walt. Well, let's see. Um, let's say I'm going to pretend that I'm somebody who's posting on Facebook because that makes it easy for me to just kind of draw it, right? Somebody who's complaining okay. that they didn't manifest. I don't know. They, I haven't manifested my girlfriend yet, my okay. boyfriend, right? My special person, my SP, as they like to say. Yes, my SP. I, I haven't manifested my SP yet. And, or or I do have my SP and I know who he or she is and we had a fight and we broke up and I really want my SP back. I got to get that SP back, right? You know. Right. So what's this, what do we talk about? Well, the person who's posting talks about the conversations that we had and how early on everything was great and then we had the fight and then from that point on, it was like, I couldn't even get him to talk to me or I couldn't get her to talk to me. 
And when I did get her to talk to me, you know, the conversation always went the wrong way. It's externalizing. None of that is internal. I mean, it's all generated internally, but the conversation is phrased about what happened externally. Right. Okay. So there's an example of what I'm talking about. Virtually every story that we share with each other is about what happened externally. I mean, it's really, here's the best way to explain how we don't do the right thing in this sense. And by right, I don't mean morally right or wrong. I just mean in terms of of the goal of of going inside. We we don't tell the story like this. I wasn't feeling good about the fact that um, I didn't have a, a, a girlfriend. So I went inside and I asked myself, how do I feel about myself? When was the last time you heard a conversation start like that? So there's my proof that we always externalize. We, instead of going inside and asking, how do I feel about myself? What do I, what, what am I doing right? What, what, what do I appreciate? What am I looking for in somebody else that I really feel good about? We go outside every time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you really just said you've explained why I, I've always told my daughter, I don't understand why people go on Facebook and put their whole lives out there. Every single thing they feel or they're going through, they mm-hmm. put on Facebook. And I'm like, I, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But you just, you just said it. You're literally just externalizing, um, talking about the external, right? Yeah. Not, not talking about the solution really, which is mm-hmm. you going inside That's or right. even, you know, people are not so quick to say, you know what? We broke up and I'm the blame. Right? <laughs> yeah, that, I can't remember the last time I heard that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty rare. Pretty rare. <laughs> Unless like they'll, they'll admit they cheated or something like that. Mm-hmm. But otherwise it's never that, you know what? I'm the blame. I understand why he left. I was, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, or I wasn't the best person, or I have anger management issues. Yeah, never. Or, or how about this? I mean, if you want to take it to the really advanced level, when was the last time you heard somebody say, I did that, but I'm not to blame because I don't believe in blame. I'm just identifying what it was that I did. I mean, that's like, that's, that's the non-existent conversation. That's the one that nobody ever says. Under any circumstance. Right. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. It's just amazing to me. Oh, my. We need to start having these inner dialogues. And like you said, a lot of it comes from the lack of self-love. And nobody really likes to, nobody likes to admit that, Walt. I mean, it doesn't feel good to admit that, you know what? I probably don't love myself or I don't love myself or I don't treat myself as well as I should, right? Or I could, which again, um, translates over or spills over into relationships. And then you allowing people um, to disrespect you because you don't respect yourself or not, not, how am I going to say this? Accepting a partner who does not love you in the way you deserve or desire to be loved. Why? Because you don't love yourself in the same way. And you know me, I'm big on, you cannot give someone else what you do not have for yourself. This is right? true. And yeah. if you don't have that for yourself, you may not even know what that real love looks like. You may not have ever experienced that before, you know? Well, you gave me an idea as you were saying all that. 
because you're right. Our tendency is to say, well, I really am kind of tough on myself and, and to start listing all these negatives. And I realized, no, that's still not the path I want to be on. If I'm really going to use this stuff, I want to turn that around too. So maybe the better way is to think about it as how, what can I do to love myself more? Yeah. Yeah. What, what steps can I take? Be, and, and why is it that I think that I do deserve more love? Because I really do. Why do I, why do I deserve to treat myself better? And what can I do to treat myself better? Yeah. That becomes a very different conversation because now I'm not criticizing anymore. Now I'm, right. now I'm, I'm looking for something to feel good about. And specifically, I'm looking for something to feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the things we're, we talk about them here on the show, the various things we can do to feel good about, you know, the, the things that we focus on to feel good about. Again, they're usually externals. Yeah. But we, but we can also look at an, an internals and we can say, what can I feel good about myself? And you know what? I will I will project the idea that that's actually ten times more effective than doing an external thing. Not there's anything wrong with the externals. I'm I'm not saying there's right. anything wrong with that at all. I'm just right. saying if we really want to move ourselves along quicker, we want to focus on what's going right internally, what we're doing well internally. Because if yes. we can do that, that that's what that's why I think the mirror exercise always works so well for me compared to. And other that's stuff. exactly what I was thinking of. That we were thinking too. Like yeah. Mirror technique. Because yeah. we're going inside and we're praising ourselves inside. Yeah. And it's not just tearing down. We're building up at yourself. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's just something about you looking at yourself in the mirror, right, right here in the mm-hmm. eyes. Right. And they say, what do they say? The eyes are the windows to the soul. They you are know, looking at who you really are. And loving yourself, appreciating yourself. And for some people, a lot of people, it feels so weird because it's not something that they've ever done. But what we all need to do it. It's so important that we love ourselves because once we start loving ourselves, it's so easy for other people to love us because they see the love that we have for ourselves. And it's easy for us to start taking care of ourselves because there may be some negative people or or negative things that you need to get out of your life right it's no longer a a fit because you love yourself now you have a higher self-esteem you think more about yourself than you did before you're just simply not going to take that or tolerate that from anybody right because now you have personal standards and boundaries that you did in fact you're not going to be interested in that anymore no it's not going to hold your attention anymore at all you won't be attracted to that you're right it'll repel you yeah You'll just be, well, you know, I don't care about that. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so there. I'm so, you know what? Mm-hmm. Honestly, Walt, that's my, why my circle of friends is about that. <laughs> maybe that. Okay. Maybe that, <laughs> that big, because I, I only like or allow myself to be partnered, if you will, friendship or otherwise with people who are positive, who are going up and not down, who see the mm. world in a, in a particular way, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't have time for the negativity. I'm not gonna allow that to bring me down. And those type of people are energy suckers. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. But, oh mm, yes. Mm. They'll suck the yeah. life right out of you. <laughs> yeah, they are life vampires. Yes, energy <laughs> vampires for sure. And I, I, I recognize that now, so mm-hmm. yeah. You just have to be aware. And, and how cool how cool it is to know that when you do run into an energy vampire, you can always say no. Yes. 
It's not like you have to be a victim to the energy vampire, right? <laughs> right. Right. You, mm-hmm. It's up to us. We get to decide. It's not up to them. And sometimes my- I think we forget that. I think we forget that the power lies with us, right? That's it. Are you are you familiar with a book called Illusions by Richard Bach? I'm not. Richard Bach wrote primarily in the 1970s, 1980s. He, um, his first book you may have heard of was called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Yes. That's Richard Bach. Okay. That was, and and that was his first book. Often sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay, got Illusions was his second novel. And Illusions is actually even better than Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Jonathan was a great book. It was a really good story. But Illusions is even better because it was really the, that's actually the first book I know of that got into the law of attraction without talking about in terms of the law of attraction. Really? I mean, there were books before that that touched on it. I'm thinking, for instance, of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and some others going back to that era. Um, But that was the first one that really kind of touched on the magic of it and treated it like it was real. And the story was just a fabulous story. um, It's basically the story of Richard in the the guise of this um, pilot flying around in a biplane, an old biplane around the countryside, giving um, rides to people at county fairs and so forth. And he meets up with somebody else who's doing the same thing. So this guy is pretty much an advanced master of the law of attraction of, you know, conscious creation. Mm -hmm. And this is about their conversations that they have. Well, um, Richard, who is Richard Bach and who's, you know, the character who's doing the learning, he's the the student, so to speak, Mm -hmm. is talking with Donald, who's the master. And uh, Richard is basically taking the position along the lines of what we talked about here, that there are external beings, external events, external experiences that control us, that control our experience. And you know, we really can't do anything about the fact that they're there and so forth. Mm-hmm. And Donald's trying to teach him it's all based on how you do, how you decide to interact with it. Do you, do you accept it? Do you think about it? Do you choose it? Or do you not choose it? You, you have that power to choose at all times. And in order to reinforce his point, he whips up, actually, a friend of his from an alternative dimension, a vampire. And the vampire shows up, and he shows up as this this kind of whinging vampire Mm -hmm. who pleads with Richard, can I please just suck a little bit of your blood? Because I can't survive without your blood. I just, I just, I don't need, I, I know this, I'm so embarrassed to have to ask this, but you know, this is the general idea of, of what this vampire is doing, right? And Richard is absolutely horrified. Says, Are you crazy? And he lashes out at the guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and finally the guy says, don't worry, Richard, I'm not going to drink your blood. And then he vanishes. And Richard's saying, what the heck was just, what, what the heck was that? Yeah. And Donald says, that was a vampire from Transylvania. Or more precisely, it was a thought form of a vampire from Transylvania. What do you think of him? How'd I do? <laughs> but that guy was going to try to drink my blood. Only because you believed he was going to. Ooh. Only because you decided that that was going to happen until you decided that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. He had no control over you. That was the basic message. Now, the, the way he tells it in the story is different. I'm, right. I'm changing it around a little bit, but that was the gist of it. It's the general idea. We get to decide whether or not somebody's going to drink our blood. We it's do. not up to the vampire. It's not. No, no. And that's both a terrifying and empowering position to be in. 
<laughs> because yeah. now we are in total control, which also means, oh my God, we're in total control. <laughs> and we have to accept responsibility with people that want to do, but yeah. 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 So, yeah. I thoroughly recommend that book, by the way. Really good one. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So going inside, making that part of the conversation, I, I've long taken the position that we need to add words to the English language are probably true for other languages as well, because we, we need to create words. And of course, you know, words get created all the time by popular culture. Right. But, but, those of us who are conscious creators, we need to think of new ways of expressing ourselves so that we don't fall back on those tried and true ways of, I'm not sure how true they were, uh, the, the tried ways <laughs> of expressing ourselves. Well, you know, it was my boyfriend's fault and this happened. And, you know, if, if he had done this or she hadn't done that, instead of, I really wish that I would focus more on how I feel about myself. Mm. And remembering what I like about myself and what I did today that I enjoy and that I felt good about and that I felt proud about and, and focusing our stories that way. I mean, even as I say those, they, they still feel a little bit stilted, mm. partly because I'm not used to talking to myself that way, partly because I, I mean, I feel kind of limited in terms of my language. That's what I mean about we need more, more language oh, to fill in it. the gaps. Mm. You know, it's like we have, I think uh, the Abraham Hicks emotional guidance scale really uh, displays it very well. They don't actually say this, but if you look at the scale, I think it's seven items on the scale are in the quote positive range, unquote, one mm-hmm. or two are neutral and the other, Oh, I'll say 12 or 13 of them are in the negative range. So there's an overwhelming number of them in the negative range and a smaller number in the positive range. And that, that pattern holds true. Our language is oriented around things we don't like yeah. for the most part. You know, and our way of telling stories is like, is oriented about things we don't like. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> that's, that to me is the clearest indication. We need a different way of, of telling stories to ourselves, basically, of yeah. talking to ourselves, interacting with ourselves. It just goes back to programming for real. Mm. Yeah. And being it's, the programmer. Yeah. It, it has to be unlearned and relearned. Mm. Right. But first you have to know that it needs to be unlearned in order to relearn because so much of society can be negative. I think that we just automatically gravitate to that and we, we don't even think about it. Like it's so innate, right? It, it's, it's just what is and what always has been. So we don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think yeah. the other piece of it, this is something that I appreciate because I've done computer programming to not to the extent that the really skilled guys do, but I've, you know, I've dabbled in it enough. I, I created the LOA Today app, so can't be all that bad, right? Right. Um, I did websites for years and so forth. Um, so, you know, minor, lower end programming. And one of the things that I learned from being a programmer early on was to accept the idea that I could program. A lot of people, they think about programming and they're just intimidated by the whole idea of it. And part of the reason they're intimidated is because deep down, they really doubt that they could be programmers. Hmm. I mean, think about that. It's kind of, it's, it's not dissimilar from thinking about oneself as a salesperson because programming is, it, it's almost become a priesthood. If you know what I mean, it's like, Oh, it's, it's programming is what those people can do. Yeah. 
That's I couldn't I do that. About it too. I mean, I couldn't do that. How many people would say that? Do you think I couldn't possibly do that? Me. <laughs> yeah. Now the fact is, anybody really could learn to program yeah, if they really you wanted can. to. You really yeah, can. It's not that. It's not that bad. No. Um, so you, you could do it, and everybody could learn at the very simplest levels. And yet, people won't. I mean, for a long time, I made a, a living just programming HTML websites, which is pretty basic level programming. Let me tell you, there's not a, a whole lot of skill level involved in it. And I was able to make a living because people were terrified of it. They just, they, they couldn't even wrap their heads around the idea of writing a little code to create a page that said something. Kind now, of like the sales thing. It is, yeah. They've now, already had it in their mind, they can't. There, that's right. Yeah. Now I'll grant you there, there's a whole left brain thing that's involved in being a programmer. If you have the left brain orientation, it helps tremendously. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. I'll grant you that the, all that is true, but how much of it ends up being true primarily because of where we start from the idea that I can't do that. Right. Because if you start, I know from personal experience in a lot of ways, that assumption kills you. That was, that was the story of my life with relationships. I was convinced. I didn't know this until after I, I married my wife. Um, I was convinced from a very young age that women would not be attracted to me. Now, I didn't think that consciously, but subconsciously, I believed it. Which meant from the moment that I met a woman, it was doomed. Because there was a little voice saying, well, this isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even stuck up the conversation yet. You know? <laughs> I was undermining myself before I even got started. You know? Well, that's the same thing here. And I think that's what we tend to do. We undermine ourselves constantly. So I'm basically feeding back to what you said earlier. It may not have been that there was a particular person who said something, but because we reacted to something negatively saying, no, no, I don't want that. We got the conversation going in our own heads. Yeah. Yeah. We just... We just started framing our conversation around the experience that we had and the emotion that was tied to that experience. And we just kept reliving it, so to speak, or replaying it. And as Thomas Edison said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, either way, you are right. That is correct. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Yeah. Annoyingly so. <laughs> but that's how our minds work, right? That's how we're designed. That's but right. it's amazing that we're designed that way. It's amazing and it's um, intuitively educational too, because once mm -hmm. we grasp it, now at least we have an idea of where the root out is. Right. Yeah. So that's good stuff. All right. Well, this has been good. Good conversation. I've enjoyed yeah. it very much. I think uh, I have to thank Mike Dooley for giving us uh, the kickoff on it because uh, that, that little post of yeah, his, that little you. email yeah. got me thinking. So good stuff. And I'm going to check him out too. Thanks. Yeah, and you're I'm welcome. To watch the secret too. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ch check out notes from the universe. It's a free thing to subscribe to and uh, check out the illusions book by Richard Bach. Louis de Susan and I like that one a lot. So check it out too. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. And uh, thank you also to our podcast listeners as well. We'll see you next time here on LOA today. Goodbye everybody. Okay.